I'm always amazed at um, how God, I think, uh, believe that and sense that uh, maneuvers our worship pastor. Uh, let me tell you why I say that. Um, I give him, uh, you know, a semblance of what uh, where we're going. I do it weeks and weeks in advance, but uh, I'm always taken by the fact that he uh, uh, carefully uh, looks at the content of what we're singing and how it just fits in. Sometimes that may just get by you because it's subtle. But particularly today, we the next to the last song, we sang the repeating chorus, the ending line of the repeating chorus was these words, I want to be where you are. It's so important because I believe that unless somebody made you come today, and that happens, you know, there's sometimes that you know, a husband will make a wife come or a wife will make a husband come or a parent will make a child come. I, I get that. But for the most part, we're here today because we want to be where God is. We want to be where Christ is moving. Some of you may say, gosh, you know, I, I'm not even sure what that means. I, I, I just feel this and sense this, this draw toward spiritual life toward God. You don't know how to define it. It took me two years in my 20s to, to be able to define that. I lived in a big city. I lived in uh, the city of Boston. I was looking for God. I was looking for something spiritual. I checked out different segments of uh, worldviews, different worldviews like uh, uh, different religions, some even uh, cultish, we would say, uh, Scientology. I lived right across the street from the, the mother church of the Christian Science Church. I read or tried to read uh, the book Mary Baker Eddy wrote, very complicated. Uh, other religions, I, because there was something in me saying, I want to be where God is. I just don't know how to define that. There may be people in the room. When I finally came and encountered Christ in a very real way, it was the end and the beginning. It was the end of all my questions The uh, of like, boy, this is not making sense. Suddenly it made sense. Christ is cohesive from beginning to end. He answers some of the most profound questions, one that we're going to see today. He begins to um, he begins to end that search, but he he begins a new journey, a journey that is intended to be adventuresome, uh, one that's exciting. But there is there are certain things required for excitement. You have to get onto the roller coaster to get excited. You can't stand beside it and watch someone else is excited and you get excited to a certain level. Today we're going to look at one of the questions that I believe is fundamental in the religions of the world. I believe that this question is one that billions of people are asking today. It's a question that I believe is pictured by a checkpoint. Now, whether you uh, sense it or realize it, you are going through checkpoints all week long. There are checkpoints. Let's take the grocery store. You just can't walk into Publix, fill up your cart, and walk out the door. You have to go through a checkpoint. You have to go and let someone check you out. And when you are checking out, there is a requirement. You want to get from place A to place B. You're in the store, place A. You want to go home, place B. You want to go to the parking lot. You want to get out. But you have to go through that checkout. My wife and I do parent pickup. It is the most... Um, immoral, carnal, uh, brutal, uh, whatever. It's If you want to see humanity at its worst, just even if you don't have a kid, just go through parent pickup. Pick a school. It doesn't matter. People are beeping, beeping and shouting and cutting in front of you, and you'll, you'll just see the human race at its worst right there in parent pickup. But I just can't drive up and pick my child up anywhere I want. I've got to go through the check. Point. I got to go through the right lane. Although some people haven't figured that out yet, you, you, there, there's a certain way. I went to uh, Latin America. I've gone to Latin America a number of times, and every time I go through the checkpoint, you have to come into the airport of the country, the foreign country, and you need one of these. This is my passport. This is issued by location A the United States in my case, to get into location B, wherever, whatever country that may be. I cannot get through the checkpoint without something, 
It's the same, by the way, in the grocery store. You're going to need cash. You're going to need plastic. You're going to need something in order to get through the checkpoint. Another observation is that I don't get to choose what is required at the checkpoint. I can't come to the country of El Salvador, for example, come to the checkpoint and show my driver's license, my credit card, my Disney pass. It doesn't work. I need one of these bad boys because they have decided for me what is required to transition through this checkpoint. Every single time I fly into a different country, my heart rate elevates. I come there and they give you one of these slender pieces of paper. If you've ever been to a country, another country, you know. What are you declaring? How much are you declaring? And I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I feel sweat coming on my forehead. I'm like, does it, what does that include? I got a hundred bucks with me. Do I put that down? I'm always asking people. I never can remember. Like, do I put everything? Do I like list? Okay, I got socks. I got uh, pencil sharpener. I mean, what do I put? Because I don't want to get to the checkpoint and get in trouble. I want to make sure that I have what is required at the checkpoint that wasn't my choice, by the way. One time I was in Bogota, Colombia. I was there leading a music group. This group was a group of singers. They had worked hard at memorizing their music in Spanish, and we would go into different areas and different. We'd be on the streets singing, and it was a kind of a it was kind of a cool deal. On this trip, because we were with musicians, we had cases for all of our equipment. We had speaker cases and guitar cases and all those in the flight-approved cases. And, you know, that means they can drop it off the plane and nothing happens to it. And they're heavy cases. And so here we are going through this the mountains of uh, Bogota and Colombia, moving from town to town. And sure enough, we got a checkpoint. We got to a checkpoint. They want to check us out to make sure that here's a bunch of young people with a bunch of big boxes in the back of their van. What's in there? So they were checking the cars as they were going through this checkpoint. They want to see, are there foreigners? And if there are foreigners like me, they want to see their, their passport. They were checking them. You could see, you know, we were maybe eight, ten cars back. Finally, we drive up. Now, these guys have machine guns. They have uniforms. They have bullets across their chest, spare bullets, not Barney Fife with one in the pocket. They got big bullets. There's not a human being sitting in this room where your, your heart rate didn't go up. It's scary because in certain countries, you cannot tell the good guys from the bad guys, even if they have uniforms on, by the way, because we were in a remote checkpoint out in the middle of nowhere. This was not the airport. They looked in our car. They saw we were a bunch of young people, had a bunch of junk in the back. Instead of going like this, they went like this, move over to the side of the, the, to the, to the, to the road. We were the only ones I saw them do that to. I'm like, oh. Boy, they, they take us all out of the car. They take every piece of equipment, and there was a lot, every box, every carton, every uh, uh, container, all, all, put it all out on the side of the road, opened up everything. They began to search us. They were looking for it. They took the hubcaps off the van. I'm telling you, by this time, I'm, I'm just freaking out. And th th they were looking, of course, for drugs. And fortunately, we hid them well enough. I mean, they, uh, we didn't have any. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We didn't have any. Didn't have any. For this reason, always carry a trombone. You can hide a lot in a trombone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we were a Christian group. We, we only had a little. Now, I mean, we didn't have any. Sorry. This keeps on coming out. It's really weird. Now, we didn't have anything to hide. There's nothing I'm trying to hide when I'm going in a different country. And yet, I still have that sense of, oh, no. I believe that there are billions of people on this day, January the 26th, 2014, I believe that there are billions of people that know instinctively because God has engineered them as such that they are going to face a checkpoint after they take their last breath. How do you know that, Steve? I'll tell you how I know. I know it because of the effort I see put forth for the preparation of that checkpoint. It's called religion. It's that effort that says, I have got to prepare myself in order to make sure that I am ready for that checkpoint. You know, it's all in the movies. 
We, we see a spy movie, you know, and they've got to go through the checkpoint, and they're hiding somebody, they're doing this. There's always that moment of tension, and they've got to come to that right place. Sometimes it's a, in a movie, it's a funny thing. You, do you remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail? You remember that checkpoint? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, oh, now I'm with you. I wasn't with you up to this point. I'm with you now. Well, they come up to this bridge. There's some troll-looking person there, and he says, you know, i got three questions because you can't cross through the checkpoint without these three questions. What's your name? What is your quest? What is your purpose? And uh, they ask the first guy, which favorite color, right? The, the guy stand behind him. He passes, answer all the questions, right? The guy behind him is like, man, this is a piece of cake. You got to remember, though, what the favorite color is. Take a look. Stop. What is your name? Sir Galahad of Camelot. What is your quest? I seek the grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. No. As crazy as that is, honestly, some people have an image of that little guy being God. That he's looking for the right answer, for the right effort, for the right counterbalance of good against bad. That if you have 49% bad, but you got 51 good, that's all right. In their minds, they're thinking somehow, I hope that I will reach this state of okayness that I can get through the gate, through the checkpoint. There was a man who ran up to Christ. Today we're going to be hovering in this story. It's found in the 10th chapter of Mark. If you want to turn there, there sometimes we hover. Sometimes I jump all around. I'm going to do both, but you can hover today with me in Mark 10 if you have your Bible. If not, it will be up on the screen. In this story, I want you to see the sincerity of this man who asked Christ this question. This was not a casual question. This was not a question that had come up in his mind when he saw Christ. It wasn't like he said, hey, JC, yo, what up, dog? Hey, by the way, I was just thinking, I just kind of saw you and I kind of came. No, different. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, Jesus started on his way as he started on his way a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. This was an important moment for this man. It's something you can tell had been in his heart for a while. He ran up to him on his knees and he asked the question that I believe that billions of people are asking. And this question forms for us the quest of billions of human beings. He says, good teacher, what must I do? What must I do, required that I would do to inherit eternal life? I do not blame this man for asking this question. I'll tell you why. From early childhood, we learn to earn. I think it's an important principle. We are entering into a generation of entitlement where people think they can get something for nothing. Generations are coming up where they have not learned the very fundamental basic uh, element, uh, practice, that something doesn't come out of nothing, that you have to earn. Our kids will say, Dad, why don't you give us an allowance? I say, that's fine, but I'm just not going to hand you five bucks. Why? Because I want to prepare you to be an adult in an adult world that when you don't work, you don't eat. That's how it should roll. So if you want to earn a buck, then take out the trash all week. And then at the end of the um, year, I'll give you a dollar. (laughs) That's kind of my wages, my rules. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They're like, Dad, I'm too smart. I'm like, darn it. The older they get, the more I pay. We're told, for example, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, in all toil and all work, there is profit. Work turns into profit. It just makes sense. On the other hand, mere talk leads only to poverty. The checkpoint to profit is work. The checkpoint to a paycheck is work. When you work, you go through the checkpoint of that, and on the other side of that, you receive something. In other words, we are conditioned 
from early childhood to know that in order to get something, we must do something. That's why it's very natural for people to say, what must I do to go through the checkpoint in order to receive eternal life? I must have something. For example, you remember Dorothy, Dorothy at the end of the yellow brick road when she arrived at Oz. You're thinking, boy, these examples you come with, stuff, Steve, so profound. I mean, by the time we get to the end of the day, we'll be like with uh, chipwrecked, you know, chip, the uh, chipmunks. It, so enjoy the profound moments now because it's only going to get more shallow as we go along. But you remember Dorothy comes up to the castle and there's a checkpoint. It's really how a lot of people view heaven. There are these enormous doors and this guy pokes his head out and says, why should I let you in? It's like people have this image of St. Pete at the pearly gates. I'm like, where did you find that? St. Pete ain't going to be there, and I'm not even sure the gates are pearly, honestly. But we joke about it because when we joke about things, we can cushion the reality of a very sober moment. It was a sobering moment for Dorothy. Watch. Oh, please, please, sir. I've got to see the wizard. The good witch of the north sent me. Prove it. She's wearing the ruby slippers she gave her. Oh, so she is. Well, bust my buttons. Why didn't you say that in the first place? That's a horse of a different color. Come on in. My first thought is, how does that guy talk so high? There's something wrong with that. That's got to hurt. But anyway, see, these are the words that we're hoping to hear. These are the words that this guy, when he ran up to Christ, come on in based on your passport, based on your credentials, whatever your ruby red shoes are. Oh, well, I did Steve, I didn't know you were that good. (laughs) I missed it. Come on in. You are good. I didn't know you had done that. I didn't know that you had achieved that. When the guy said, what must I do? Well, gosh, I didn't know that you had done all that. Then come on in. The sobering moment at this checkpoint is that when we arrive and we say, what must I do? Christ answers us in a very profound way as he answers this man. As you know, if you know the the New Testament, you know Jesus' life. Often when people asked him a question, he answered with a question. Wouldn't that be frustrating? Like, dude, can you give me something straight up? He's trying to cause people to think. This is his answer in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. This guy had said, good teacher, what must I do? To inherit eternal life, Christ's answer captures it all. And yet you have to think and you have to compare things to things to get to what he's saying. Watch what his answer is. Why do you call me good? I'm like, what kind of answer is that? Am I in or I'm out? That's what the guy wanted to know. What must I do, good teacher? Why do you call me good? You're not answering what I'm asking. Christ says, I'm very much answering in a very profound way. Why do you call me good? Because the implication here is that there is no one good except God alone. And if you are calling me God, you are confessing that I am equal to God. And you got that part right. He is saying, there is. if you're coming to me with goodness... The key word that Christ says is that there is only one who's truly good, and it's God alone. Therefore, we have a problem, Houston. There is a problem that with this man who comes, because we, if you know the story, he's done some good things. What must I do? Christ is saying, you cannot do enough because there is a gap between a God who is good and good alone, the only good God, the only good perfect being there is. And now there's a gap and you cannot have enough goodness to get to 
heaven to have eternal life by your goodness because goodness is not the passport. Speaking to a few people already this morning, it blows our mind because we're conditioned. You think that doesn't make sense. Everything in my life, every checkpoint, there's something required. What is it? Come on, tell me what it is. What can I do? What do I have to do? How good do I have to be? What is it? Just tell me, tell me, tell me. And Christ is saying, nothing. You cannot do anything. You cannot be good enough because you cannot come up to the good enough standard of God. In this moment, we see what we're going to examine today as the first checkpoint to eternal life because I believe that there are two. This first checkpoint, the surprise that we come to is that when we get to this checkpoint and we whip out our credentials and we say, I've got my passport, Christ in that moment says, that passport is invalid. That passport will not get you through. You're like, what? Let me check. The date is right. The picture is right. The address is right. Christ says, oh, I know all that is right. But what you have to understand is that I, Christ would say, I'm the passport. You cannot bring anything. I am the passport. Watch Colossians chapter 2. We're told very deep. Put your thinking cap on. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which, watch, depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. What is that? You earn it. That's the basic principles of this world. You work, you earn. You work, you earn. You do this, you get this. That's the basic principles of how this whole economy on this world works, right? Don't depend on that, but rather depend on Christ. Verse 9, for watch this, the dependence. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. In other words, he was God in the flesh. Verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not in the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through the faith in the power of God, who was raised from the dead. In other words, everything at this checkpoint is delivered and dependent on Christ alone. That is the key to this checkpoint. 54 years old, 30 years plus as a Christian, it is still amazing. It is still amazing to me. And and it crops up probably in your life like it does in mine that I must be able to do something. There must be something that I've got to do in order to reach this point. I heard about someone who went to uh, to a doctor and and the doctor said, here's what you got to do to get better. And I, this person said, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't like what the doctor said. Well, well what did you do? Well, I got a different doctor. Well, that doesn't solve the problem. See, we like to control. That is, grace is so amazing. We're like, no, I, I've got to do something in order to get through this checkpoint. In, in certain ways, we're, we can be spiritual control freaks and, 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 and just try to, try to maneuver and do my way and create my own passport. So I got a knock-knock joke for you. This is a new knock-knock joke. Will you play along? Because sometimes my wife's like, uh-uh, I'm playing. I, I, your, your jokes are stupid. I'm not saying who's there. I'm not going to go with it. But would you play along? All right, knock-knock. We're going we're gonna to do it together, right? Knock-knock. Very good. Um, control freak. Now, say control freak who? That's, see, I, I controlled it. You just fell right for it. You get it? Some people are like, I don't get that. Well, forget it then. Leave. Whatever. This week, Justin Bieber was in the news. You may have seen it. And uh, all right now. Easy there. You know, let me say something. I don't gloat over it. I'm broken over it. 
I see a young man who's gotten more wealthy and more famous and more popular than, than human capacity can handle at that age, or any age probably. And it happens over and over. I'm like, how many times are we going to see this? You know, young guy becomes popular as a tween, and then just go, you know, the girls are being, you know, throwing themselves and crying and screaming and all this and paparazzi and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's almost inevitable. Here we go. Here come the drugs. Here come the alcohol. Here comes the, you know, the crazy behavior. And there it is. I look at that and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't gloat over that. I, I don't like, man, see, you got, no, come on. I look at that. So this week, you know, he's racing down uh, in Miami in his Lamborghini on the street somewhere, going way beyond the speed limit. They pull him over. He's got drugs, alcohol. He's, he's high. He's got a DUI and all that. I saw the news report. They flashed this picture up. And it just struck me. I'm like, wow, there it is. The screen it was a split screen. On one, on one side of the screen, you see the judge sitting up there on his chair in his big, big high desk. On the other side of the screen, you see Justin. Here's a guy that's really stylish. You know, he's dressing hip. He's, he, he's, got, all the, he's all, got all the goods and everything. He's standing there in his orange jail suit. I thought, wow, what a picture. Stripped down before the judge. You see, the sobering moment is there at this checkpoint. We bring none of our glitter and goods and all the things that we think are wonderful. Before the judge of this universe, there is nothing worthwhile. That's why we sing nothing but the blood of Christ. People say, well, don't you have to change your behavior? Yes, you have to change your dependence on yourself. But if we are saying that we are, you have to change and make sure you get your act together before you come to Christ, then good luck to any of us. And sometimes it's so hard for us to get through. Our, well, don't we have to repent? Yes, repent from depending on yourself. When I came to Christ, I didn't know right for wrong, honestly. I mean, to, in certain areas, you should certainly do. But Christ begins to work in your life. Christ begins to say, hey, I want to point something out. I'm 54 years old. He pointed something out this week, and I'm not just saying that. Something big. He's still working on me. Had the responsibility been for me to get my act together before I came to this checkpoint, I would never be standing here. I have people that argue against that. Well, no, you've got to change your behavior. It is Christ and Christ alone. It is His blood and His blood alone. I'll tell you why. I want you to imagine for a second that um, if it were left up to us, we would get so nervous. Watch. The disciples were nervous when they saw all this going down in Mark 10, verse 26. The disciples said to each other, notice they didn't say it to Christ. They were afraid to ask Him the question. They said to each other, who then can be saved? Because this guy had his act together. Who is it that then can be saved with this plan? And Jesus looked at them because he hears everything. And he says, well, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. Not with God. All things are possible with God. Listen to me. If you don't know Christ, I have just delivered to you the best news that you will ever hear in your life. Now, you may go on Monday morning, all of a sudden the stock you own just tripled. Dude, it's going to float away. It's going to triple down someday. Don't, somebody, you walk out, somebody gives you the car keys of a new Lexus. You think, ah, oh, that's awesome. Well, in 17 years, that's going to, that car is going to look like my car, which is 17 years old. The, the thing's broken. It's keep, things keep broken. I, I pulled the handle up this morning, uh, this week. It, half of it broke off. That's because it's old. 17 years in heaven is going to be one breath, and that's 17 years. You see, the good news of Christ is this. It goes on. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Nothing is the answer. Except, that, except Christ. 
accept the passport, accept the checkpoint, and Christ does that. All right, before we move to the second checkpoint, I have to ask this question. I want you to imagine, because this gives this checkpoint weight. I want you to imagine if it were not this way. If it were not this way, first of all, you'd be nervous. Are you good enough? Are you good enough? How would you know? So we'd be nervous about that. We know that. If you're depending on being good enough, man, good luck with that because that's the only thing. It's just not going to work, right? But watch this. Here's the second thing. Watch. If it were not that way, here's what would happen. We'd be high-fiving each other in heaven. We would get to heaven, and if it were like, okay, Steve, you, you had 63% good and, and uh, 37% bad. Does that add to 100? Excellent. <laughs> and guess what? Corruption would enter heaven. I want a heaven where there is no sin. I want a heaven where there's no tears, no death, no mothers and parent pickup who are honking the horn at me. I don't want carnality in heaven. So Christ, I'm glad that you had the checkpoint where carnality and corruption and sin are not going to enter heaven no matter how little you have of it. Because if we came up in heaven and it was based on me and I had 63 versus the 37, good and bad and all that, and I got in, you know what I'd be doing? I'd have the swag. Like, yeah, 63. Yes, sir. Haven't you ever been taking a class where, dude, if you just, if an F is 60 and you got a 61, you're like, yes, sir, I'm in, man. That'd be the way in heaven. There'd be a lot of swagging. And the attention would be toward us. Yep, I did it. I got in. That's the way to be going. And there would be no attention toward the Lamb of God. When we get to heaven, because it's only him, all attention will be towards the Lamb of God. And that, my friend, is the way it shall be and should be, by the way. Ephesians 2, you know it well, for it is by grace. It's still is moving. It still is moving. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, not through works. And this, thank God, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one and swag. If you ever wondered what will be in heaven, I don't know. But I'll tell you what won't, and that is swag. It is a de-swag zone, by the way. Unfortunately, as we know, Christianity has a bad rap, rightfully so, that we put so much attention to this first checkpoint. In other words, we get people in, they come to Christ, another number on the roster, another rear in the chair, and man, that's, that's what it's all about. I've heard it so many times. It's not. It's not. You see, when this man came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Christ was only giving him a portion of the picture at first. Look, only God is good alone. So you have a problem and it's not your goodness to get in. But then he begins to move to the second checkpoint. Up to this point of everything I've said, many of you who are Christians say, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's still good for us as Christians 
to go through this for for a a sense of like ah man I needed to be reminded once again it's not me it's a gift and and thank God and it causes me to worship and all that not only that it also helps you I think when you hear someone else say it oh I could say that to someone else it refreshes the message so that you can be a messenger to others but we know this part of the story the second checkpoint is where we often miss it because when most people say eternal life in their mind they think of heaven did you not did you not think when the guy came running up and said what must i do to inherit eternal life you think well a checkpoint to heaven it's true But Jesus redefined eternal life for us. He supplemented it by saying it's just not heaven. It's also something else. John 17, verse 3. We find ourselves at the second checkpoint. Now, this is also eternal life. That they may know you, God, Father. They may be in a relational rhythm with you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, here's what happens. Be very, very careful about the order of your checkpoints. Let me explain. I come to Christ empty-handed. No good works. It is not Christ plus 1%. It is Christ. I am here. I need your forgiveness. There are things I got to work on. There are things I don't even know I got to work on. I got to work on. There are things I know I don't even work on that I got to work on that I don't know I got to work on that I got to work on. I mean, it just goes on. I'm empty-handed. What I need right now is the blood of Christ to cover me, to forgive me. Boom. That's it. Christ alone. Don't, Don't mix it up. Then God begins a relational rhythm with me. If you're going to follow me, If you're going to have eternal life and know me and walk with me, we're coming to another checkpoint that's going to require sacrifice, change, letting go. If you put and meld that checkpoint with the first one, then you have to be very careful that it's not Christ plus your changing, your dropping of things. It's Christ and Christ alone. I hope I'm being clear enough about that. We come to this next checkpoint, and this guy begins to go through his report cards. And Jesus said, well, you're a Jewish man, and I know that because Christ says in verse 19, you know the commandments. Someone who was not a Jewish person would not know that. You know the commandments. You know how in the past to get a baseline uh, to be in relational rhythm with God, there takes some obedience. So, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud and honor uh, uh, honor your father and mother. Did I say do not honor your father and mother? <laughs> Erase that from the podcast. Do not defraud, comma, honor your father and mother. And he says, teacher, all these I have kept since the boy. That was why he was there. Because in his mind, it's not really what I must do. It's what I've done. Oh, look what I've done. And Christ said, oh, come on. You see, at this intersection, if you're Jesus, you're like, come on, you know better, right? I just told you that God is good. He could, Christ could have copped an attitude. He could have said, come on. But I want you to see the spirit. I'm going to take a little sidebar here because I think it's important. I'm going to speak to each of you, but I'm going to speak to leaders particularly. Watch what his response is as described in this story. When this guy says, oh, I've done that since a childhood. I've got gold stars. I'm a Boy Scout. I'm good. Watch. 21, Mark 10. Jesus looked at him. You see, sin is ugly. Pride is ugly. Self-sufficiency is ugly. When we're dealing with sheep, it sometimes gets ugly. But I love this spirit of Christ that in this moment when the Boy Scout touted his chest out and had the Cheshire smile said, I've done that since a boy. And he still loved him in the ugliness of that moment. You see my ruby red shoes? 
He's like, oh, I know where you're coming from. I'm still going to love you right where you are. In our most stupidest moments, Christ said, I still love you. I know where you're at. But watch. It's just not compassion. Watch this. Don't miss it. He loved him enough to tell him what he was about to tell him. I like to be transparent because I think it encourages you to. I learned something this this week. I'm learning how to be an honest leader and an honest friend. I grew up in the South where gentlemen don't say certain things. Let me put the real word on it. Cowardice. You see, Jesus could have said, hey, that's pretty good. But I don't want to take the guy off, so I'm not going to say the next thing. As Bill Heibel says, the, the, the last 10%. We're very good at doing t- at 90%. You may be a leader and say, you know, there's, a, there's somebody in my group, my act group, my small group, and man, they're hit and miss. They're, they're, they're kind of here, then they're not here, and they're here, they're not here. And I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to offend them. And I don't want to say something. I don't want to call them out and say, you know, there's a requirement here. There's a commitment involved here. And so I'll let it go. But as we're going to see, we're not doing anyone a favor by not being honest. I have people around me that are honest. Thank God. Because if they weren't honest, who chisels this heart of sin? I need to be chiseled. Please do not look at me as a holy man. Most of you are like, oh, I never did. Thank you. (laughs) I am flesh and blood and muck and mud and rocks and grit and junk and just like any of the rest of you. And I need someone who will love me enough, not play church with me enough, love me enough to say, hey, dude, I see your checkpoints and your gold stars, but maybe you didn't quite see this. And I've learned, and I'm learning, of course. You don't get it in one week. But with a couple of intersections, just being honest with you, I'm learning as a leader that there is great benefit within respectable boundaries to say, hey, i got to say something. And that doesn't come natural to me. Don't think for a second that Christ just loved them and it was warm and fuzzy because watch, he looked at him and loved them in verse 21. He probably took a deep breath and said, I got I to tell you something, man. I really believe that Christ said this. I, talk this way. I don't believe he said, come over hither too. Well, come on. He said, hey, man, I got to tell you something. I hear what you're saying. But there's a heart issue with you. Now, for this particular guy, it was one thing. It's probably something, probably, it is something different for you than me, whatever. We're all wrestling with different things. But Jesus loved him enough to address him at a checkpoint. Watch. Hey, man, my version. Hey, man, I got to tell you something. There's one thing you, you, you should consider working on. One thing you lack. You see, I've kind of watched you a little bit. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Checkpoint. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And what you're going to get out of that is treasure in heaven. Now watch. Don't miss the small words. Then come follow me. Then come follow me. This, watch, very careful. This is not a condition of salvation. This is a condition of following him. If you want eternal life and a relational rhythm in this lifetime, there are times that Christ says, look, there's something that's getting in the way. I can't see you. I can't walk with uh, there's, you. Know, what is The flesh is contrary to the spirit. The spirit is contrary to the flesh. And God loves us enough to tell us. I want to, man, I want to be in beat with you. I want to do hip-hop with you, man. I want to do jazz. I want to do bluegrass. I want to play with you. But you, you don't have a banjo yet. 
Can I tell you that? Can I speak into your life? Because listen, this, as I'm discovering, is true love. Anything else is just Christian fluff. And I, quite frankly, as you can tell, am a little tired of it in myself. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a bull in a china shop. I'm like, hey, I'll tell you another thing. You know, come on. He loved him, and he was honest with him. You see, this was a checkpoint. He says, then you can, then we can be in rhythm. I wonder what that thing is that someone could come to you and say, hey, man, can we talk? Can I love you enough to be honest? Would you even allow that? Or would you pick up your marbles and go? This is not a popular message that I'm saying right now. I understand that. Up to this point, boy, free free grace at the first checkpoint. I'm down with that one. But now a commitment to step to the next checkpoint. And God asking for commitment for us to drop things. That doesn't make attendance go up. Therefore, the most insidious practice of church leaders is to keep it nice so that you stay. So for the three of you that like me still next week, <laughs> I'd like to pray. No, Watch this. It happens over and over and over and over. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus is calling his disciples, come follow me. See, this is not just to be safe, but now we're going to get in rhythm with each other. I want you to walk with me. Come on, come on, come on. Right close by me. Come follow me. And I'll make you fishers at At once, they did something at the checkpoint. They left their identity. They left the what thing they loved. They left their nets and they followed him. Verse 19, when he had gone a little further, he saw James and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father in the boat with the other hard workers. In other words, he's saying, look, there's a commitment before we travel together. You've got to drop some things. I was traveling to a country not too long ago uh, to, to a place that didn't have great water. You know, you want to drink the water in many places in the world. So my wife packed my bags. I got up to the checkout counter. I think my bag weighed somewhere around 540 pounds. I could barely, the, the lady couldn't pick it up. I'm like, so I, she goes, hey, this is way, way, way overweight. I mean, it was not even close, way overweight. I should have known it, but whatever. So I opened it up. I got one pair of underwear, one pair of socks, a pair of pants, a shirt, and then 1,400 bottles of water in there. <laughs> Checkpoint. In order for you to travel with us, you're going to have to drop some things, some water, in this case, some things out of your luggage. So, you know, a long line, millions of people. I'm out there with, there's my underwear, there's my socks, you know, my only pair of shorts and my only pair of shirt and my shirt and everything. And I'm taking water out so that I can go past the checkpoint to travel to where I want to go. Do you want to go? We sang earlier, I want to be where you are. Christ is saying, this is not about your salvation, but if you're going to walk with me, you cannot walk contrary to the Spirit of God. Tough message. It's tough. It's a hard one, I understand. And our culture has become so weenieized. Can I say that? Thank you. Right? My friend Joel sent me an email this week, and this was a list of reviews of people that had been on vacation. They had used this vacation travel agency. And they were complaining. These were people that came back and they were complaining. And I thought you might want to see some of the complaints just to give a picture of our our, um, our culture. We booked an excursion to a water park, but no one told us that we had to bring our own swimsuits and towels. We assumed it would be included in the price. Like, what have we become? You mean we've got to provide, look, if a place is providing swimsuits, I don't want to go because I don't know who wore it before me. Are you with me? Here's one. The beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. I hate sandy sand. I mean, dang, beachy beaches, mountainy mountains, they, they get to me, honestly. Finally, here's one for you. We went on holiday to Spain and had a problem with the taxi drivers because they were all Spanish. That bothers me. 
this message is too hard. I don't like this message. I'd rather stick with the Lord's Prayer in the Psalm 23. I get it. But it's not the message of Christ. And not a lot can receive it. I hope you can. How do I know that? Watch. Mark 10, verse 22. At this news, the Cheshire cat's smile disappeared. And his face fell. And he went away. Watch. Sad. Because he had great wealth. It may be something for someone else. There's nothing wrong with wealth, by the way. So if you centralize it. So many people, oh man, I I didn't know it was going to be that. I came for the bluegrass. I came for the fun, man. I came... I didn't know it was going to be that. I get that. I wonder if this guy on that morning sang in church, I want to be where you are. I just wonder. Now, here's the love part. Christ... He's saying, look, there's a reason for this checkpoint. There's a reason for it. When, when this guy went away sad, I bet Christ was sad. And here's the first one, if you don't mind. I'm, I'm going to use a, a little bit of a, a, a business analogy here. One of the most famous checkpoints in the world was called Checkpoint Charlie. You remember that? For those of you in, in my generation, Checkpoint Charlie divided East Germany and West Germany after World War II. I brought a picture of it, by the way. You may have seen it. It's pretty flimsy. It's not a real big checkpoint. And because it wasn't a good checkpoint, a strong checkpoint, between 1949 and 1961, three and a half million East Germans crossed the border because it wasn't a tight checkpoint. You think, okay, what's the big deal about that? It wasn't so much the burden on the West Germans. It was the East Germans because these were often... The, the brightest and the best. They were the physicians. They were the, um, they were the uh, engineers and the architects and, and, and people that, you know, had been trained and could really move the country in a way. I mean, the country needs everybody, of course. But, and, and they were the young generation. They were crossing over because the checkpoint was so loose. Between 49 and 61, 20% of their population, some of their strongest population had crossed over and left the country in East Germany. Their economy began to tank. It began to go south because they were losing all their people. Therefore, in 1961, they, they constructed the Berlin Wall. See, what happens here is if we say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to stand up here and run the risk of being honest with you and say this requires a commitment. Let's just let them in and not address tough stuff. Let's just stand up here and I'll say good things and not be honest with you and say, hey, I'm confessing to you. I'm still learning these certain things in my own life. Everybody gets in. Don't No problems. Don't worry. Don't ever talk about tithing. Don't ever talk about hard stuff. Don't ever talk about sin. Don't ever talk about that. And just let them all in and to use a brand branding term, we're mucking up the brand. In other words, the brand is that those followers of Christ are committed. They're ones that look like they love Christ more than anybody, anything in life. And when we don't talk about it and say, oh, it doesn't really require commitment, then people look on us and they think, well, you don't look any different from me. You're the, you don't have any more commitment than I do. So I'm not. So Christ would say, I love the world so much that I need you to act like a follower of Christ wholeheartedly. Because I love the world too. And I want them to see in you that you're willing to empty your suitcase, to drop your nets, to sell what you have, if that's your deal, to walk with me. It's critical because when God points people out in the Bible, you remember when the 12 spies went over in the promised land and they came back, 10 of them were fussing and two of them were great. See, God spotlights these guys. Watch. In Numbers chapter 14, 
God is saying, hey, no one has treated me with contempt will ever see the promised land. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'm going to bring him into the land we went to. In other words, he's saying, look at this guy. Because if you look at a guy like Caleb who said, man, I'm in. I'm at this checkpoint. Oh, I already know God. I've passed that. Don't get him confused. I'm at this checkpoint and God, I'm in. I'm doing whatever you want. I'm, I, you got my heart and soul. I'm wholehearted. God always says, look at that. That's my brand. That's my image. That's the image that I want to show to the world. You remember the widow that came and she dropped in her little coin. It was all she had. And you remember Christ said, boys, over here. Watch, 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 watch. Here she comes. She, she's about to drop. Wow. See all these other guys? They're dropping in big checks, but... It's, it's not a sacrifice. This little lady, I don't know, little, why do I say little? She could have been six, eight. This lady, <laughs> this very tall lady, very tall widow. I don't even know, it doesn't say she was old. She would have been like 38, whatever. She's 38, six foot eight, whatever. Here she comes. Watch, 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 watch. Clink. You know what he, I bet he said? Something that went about like this. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like. You got King Saul who got too big for his britches. He says, you're out because you're not looking. You're not attracting the rest of the world. They're going to look at you and think, gosh, you're proud, man. I'm proud. We're all proud. Nothing. There's no attraction there. I got to get a man after my own heart named David because that is the image I want to point out to the world. James says in chapter 2, I, some will say, hey, you have faith, I have deeds. You got, I, I, I got through the check, first checkpoint. Okay, so what? You committed. I got, I've, I'm saved. I'm in. James says, you show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you a faith with deeds by, by what I do. In other words, it's faith, first checkpoint, with commitment, second checkpoint. Are you with me? Some people argue and say, wait a minute, don't you? Don't you? It's Christ alone at the beginning. And then it's like, I'll drop my net to follow you. Two checkpoints. That's what God is looking for. Now watch. It's not only for the image, but watch. You can't do anything halfway and enjoy it. I've seen piano students over the years. They try to halfway practice. They hate it. They come in. They can't play the song half worth anything. They don't feel like practicing because they're not practicing. When they do practice, it doesn't sound good, so they're not going to practice. So, you know, it sounds bad. I mean, it's just this vicious cycle. God wired us in such a way that that man went away sad that day because he was double-minded. What turns me on are those Christians. You know them as much as I do. Those Christians who've dropped their nets. Those Christians that took a risk and said, I'm stepping out for the sake of others. Those Christians who say, hey, I want to show passion for Christ. They're magnetizing. There's something exciting. Some people say, "I, I, I I hear what you're saying, but I'm not excited about my faith. Perhaps it's because you're still standing outside this checkpoint and you got too much water in your luggage and you're not walking in rhythm with God. I love my walk with God even though it's imperfect and I'm still learning. But when you learn to drop your nets and take a risk, then you start to get excited about your faith. If you're saying, man, I'm not excited about my faith at all, maybe that's because you got too much baggage. There's devil-mindedness. Christ said, I love you enough that I want you to experience what it means to step out. When people argue about tithing, I'm like, oh, man, you're missing the joy, the excitement of saying, I'm dropping 10% so that I will depend on you more, God. I'm dropping 15 20%, 30%. I'm dropping 100 Easy there, fella. You know what I mean? Not a popular topic, is it? But I, I'm like, oh, man, you're missing the excitement of knowing what it means to depend on God. Watch, 2 Kings chapter 17, 41, entirely possible. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving other idols. Not instead of, but while. 
It is entirely possible. Finally, let me say this to you. James nails both checkpoints. Watch. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. First checkpoint, wash your hands, O sinners. Wash them in the blood of Christ. Come empty-handed and say, I, my hands are sinful. I need them to be washed by Christ's blood. First checkpoint. And second checkpoint, purify your minds, your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, what a beautiful and full picture. I wonder today, for those sitting in this room, now don't, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end here. I'm going to ask you, don't rustle. I'm asking for those who have passed the first checkpoint to pray, literally. Because there are, there are those sitting in this room that are under the stress of wondering what it would be like when they approach that first checkpoint and they're still asking, what must I do? What must I do, God? It's a stressful position. I'm praying for them today. I began praying for them early, early this morning for those that would say, oh, oh God, open up their eyes to know that, help them to see they can't bring a single thing to this equation, to this checkpoint, that it's Christ and Christ alone. Is that you today? Do you still wonder if it's partly you that you got to do something? Drop it. Depend entirely on Christ. Embrace him. Know that he died in your place for your sins. That he rose, he came back from the dead to underscore, to prove that it wasn't just a myth, but it was real. That he had, he had jurisdiction over life and sin and everything. Is that you today? Would you say, gosh, I, I, I am, I'm depending, I'm nervous, I'm stressful, I think I can do it. The best news I give to you today is stop and wash your hands, O sinner, in the blood of Christ. As we sang, nothing but the blood of Christ. Now let me address those who have passed that checkpoint. Perhaps it's you that would say, man, I got in, I'm saved. I'm through the first checkpoint, but I've never really checked my baggage. I'm carrying a lot of stuff. I lack spiritual energy. I lack spiritual ambition. I'm lazy spiritually. That may be your deal. Christ may say, can, you, can I love you enough to talk to you about all the times you never talk to me? All the times you never... Some of you have fear, like, ah, oh, boy, I'm not going to get close to anybody. I just got, I'm comfortable here. I'm not going to take the next step relationally. Some people may be in and out and in and out and in and out. You never can feel like you can get the marathon. Christ would say, can I talk to you about that sprint style you got going here? You know, you run 50 yards and then I don't see you for a while. Then you run another 50 and I don't see you for a while. You see, it's not all the big black dark stuff, you know, like pornography and blah, blah, blah. There's these subtle things. This guy wasn't watching bad stuff on his computer. You know how I knew that? They didn't have computers back then. I'm just telling it was a subtle thing in the inner chamber of his heart. And Christ says, that's where I want to talk to. Christians, where are you right now? Do you feel like you have fully dropped your nets? And through that checkpoint, you say, I am all in because God loves the world so much. I'm tired of painting a pansy, wimpy image of what it means to be a Christ follower. I can't do that. And on top of that, I'm bored and frustrated with this spiritual life because I got one foot in, one foot out. That would be all I would say to you. Would you pray to me, with me? Father, thank you, God, for this challenge that you give to us. First of all, Father, we pray for those sitting right here in this room who would say, wow, when I, when I stop and think about it, I've not made it to the first checkpoint. And subtly and subconsciously, I have been dependent on myself. I pray, God, today that you literally would open up chambers of their thinking 
for them to be able to see that it is Christ and Christ alone who is the passport. Not our works, not our goodness, not our hopes, not our wondering uh, this and that. None of that, God. It is Christ and Christ alone. I pray that they will have faith enough to reach out, humility enough to lay down, to repent of their self-dependence and rest completely on Christ. I pray that, God. We pray together. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I first pray that they would receive this message as it is delivered out of love, honest love, that there are so many that have just breezed by this checkpoint who are still holding their luggage and their nets and their self and all the things that, that often that one thing that Christ would say, I've got to talk to you about something. Because we're painting an image to the world that is not aligned with the image, God, that you have in mind. That should break our hearts. If we can't do it, who else is? When we look like the world, where's the distinction? So I pray for the dropping of nets, for the surrendering, God, of the things that we hold on to so tightly, whether that's traits, habits, whatever they may be, God. Just those things where you would say out of love, hey, can I talk to you about that? I pray that believers in this room will open themselves up to the conversation that you've been waiting to have for so long. Father, we are yours. You have made us. And today, God, this call deepens that, that reality, that we are not our own. We don't get to decide which passport we want in this life. You decide it for us. And for that reason, God, We're so very thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name.